HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Visit Ithaca. Ithaca, New York boasts an authentic craft beverage experience, tasty farm-to-table culinary adventures, and scenic outdoor recreation among 150 waterfalls. Plan your trip today with help from visitithaca.com. This is Jimmy Carboni, the host of Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I've been a part of the HRN community for 10 years. After all that time, I'm constantly inspired by the incredible voices of our network. Each week, I record my show in the HRN studio because I'm excited to bring you, our listeners, the most important stories from the world of beer, food, cider, and more. All of us here at HRN make food radio because we love it. This year, HRN is celebrating its 10th anniversary, but we need your support to keep food radio going strong for the next decade. Join the HRN community today by becoming a member. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate right now. You can even show some love from my show by selecting Beer Sessions in the designation drop-down menu. Thanks for listening to HRN. Hey, hey, welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, guys, I'm Jimmy Carboni, the host of Beer Sessions Radio. Check us out at heritageradionetwork.org. This is a special show. It's the end of June, and the guys from Mashton Journal, a.k.a. Mars Community Brewing in Chicago, are here. Um, they're doing a special event with uh, KCBC Brewing, and um, we're going to be airing the show. If you're listening, it's going to be July 2nd. Um, you'll be listening then. But uh, let's go around and in- introduce everybody. There's a great crew here. One of my favorite uh, guest co-hosts, we spent the summer of 2015 together, writer and editor. Uh, what's up, Jimmy? It's Ben. Uh, back on the East Coast after ben four years. Yeah. Super excited uh, and really looking forward to talking to these guys. You know, we've been through a lot. I mean, years ago, so, so some of your books about hiking and, and visiting breweries and uh, you sure. editor for a long time. And uh, it's great to have you in New York City. It's great to be back. Yeah. Best one, city in the world. One right? of our favorite brewers in New York City is here, too. Hey, Pete Lengel, Fushimi from KCBC. It's great to have you on, man. We've had some great shows with you, and uh, you must be excited to have these guys out from Chicago. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're brewing up. We're bringing back a, a, a kind of a dead style. It's called a pale ale. 
<laughs> and did did you did you know about Mars Mars Brewing before? Yeah, yeah, I've been hearing a lot about them. Out, you know, I don't know if I've had any of the beer yet, but I've been hearing. Maybe I had Chug Life one time, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely been on the radar. Yeah, yeah. And then we got Ed. Come on, introduce yourself. Hey, uh, this is uh, Ed Marzuski. <coughs> uh, I'm one of the the cats from Mars Community Brewing, and uh, the publisher and one of the editors of Mash Ton Journal. Great, man. Thanks for coming out. I'm Tim Lang. I'm the head brewer there and uh, helped start the place with Ed many years ago. Well, you guys are you guys are the whole story. I mean, and, and of course, the beer tracker. Miguel Rivas, uh, the beer tracker and future to be co-editor of Mashtun Journal. Well, I'm going to shake Miguel's hand. I, I got a shake on the air, but Miguel, thanks for putting the show together. I mean, we've been through a lot together. You've photographed a lot of events. You've been on a few episodes. We did the On the, on the Road series uh, 2016. So I know you work well, and I, and I respect it. So I think these guys are lucky to have you as a photographer and editor. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. But So um, you put this show together. So tell us, how did you, uh, did you bring these guys to New York to make a beer at KCBC? Tell us the whole story here. So I met Ed um, in 2018, and I uh, did a short trip to Chicago, and I went and visited Mars. Uh, I already... I've met Tim here in New York at the um, uh, opening bash. And uh, so we stayed in touch. And then I've been, you know, talking to Ed since. And because of the the magazine, I was telling him about my project. And he kind of told me about his magazine and kind of add some content and pictures to the, to his, uh, to the journal. So that was kind of like in the back of our minds. And we talked about it. So last year when I did my trip to Europe, I told Ed, look, I have a lot of material, and then I'm going to be going to Latin America the beginning of this year, 2019. So we said, you know, let's let's do it. Let's put a, a, an issue about all the, the travel that you did to Europe, Latin America. So we did that, and then we talk about doing a release party here in New York for it. So I figured, well, if they're going to come to New York, let's make it, you know, a whole thing. So I put them in touch with KCBC to do the collab. Put him in touch with you to do the radio show. Put him in touch with the guys from Ivan Ramen to do a dinner. So just kind of connecting everybody. You know, the, wow. that's great, man. You're you're really out there doing great things. And Tim, so uh, you were here in New York for opening bash at New York City Beer Week. Yeah, that was uh, I think a couple years ago. We were here. Um, just kind of brought a little everything we were doing at the time. We were really getting into the hazy IPAs at the time, I think. And uh, we do a lot of sours and had a really good reception. People were really excited about them and wanted to get the beer here. Um, so we did a little bit of distro here and kind of got into the market and worked with Finback last year, did a really nice uh, collab, kind of mashed up our Jungle Boogie uh, with their hazy style IPAs. and That's your wheat, wheat beer. Yeah, right? made a, yeah. called it Broadway Boogie and kind of did a riff on that and turned out really great. Great. So let's just go back. So I know you got Mash Ton Journal and we can look that on- online at Mash Ton and it's a magazine. But I want to talk about how you guys got started. So Ed, you, you tell us about you opened a a bar called Maria's. Just give us some backstory on, on you guys and how you got more involved in the, the beer community. I'll try to not be very long-winded about this. <laughs> so Chicago, okay. we're so in Chicago, we're, Illinois. We're in Chicago. We're uh, we're in the south side of Chicago in a neighborhood called Bridgeport, a.k.a. the community of the future. And at the time, in the, in the turn of the century, I moved there and started doing a lot of art projects. I mean, the, tw- the 21st turn century. century yeah. At the turn of the century. <laughs> 21st. At this, yeah, this recent, yeah. Last turn. Yeah. And, um, He's you know, old, my, this guy. My, my mother had purchased a, a little uh, uh, shot in a, a, a beer place called Kaplan's Liquors in the middle of this neighborhood. It was a rough neighborhood, tough neighborhood. Uh, it was also known as like uh, um, an unfriendly neighborhood to a lot of different people. Um, but she opened up this 
this bottle, this uh, slashy we call them, half liquor store, half bar. And since we're, I'm a Korean and Polish guy, and since it's a family business, my brother and I both helped out and worked there a couple times a week. So while doing that, working at the bar, being a carpenter, doing dot-com stuff, publishing magazines, doing art festivals, running an art space and all this stuff, uh, we were just kind of in, in, um, based in this neighborhood for a while doing a lot of weird projects. One day my mother uh, decided she was tired of doing this, this place and we were both, my brother and I were very delighted because we were sick of serving a bunch of ex-felons and old guys, um, a bunch of ice house and shots of, uh, um, you know, ice house is like the cheap beer. Yeah. And yeah, in Chicago land. So, and also I would get yelled at for not putting on the white Sox game on time, or if jeopardy wasn't turned on at the appropriate time, (laughs) my mother would scold me the next day. That is important. I would agree with that. Yeah. But it was, you know, it was also a rough place. Um, but you know, I suggested to her that, well, maybe you could let Mike and I just create a bar that we'd want to drink at more often or a place that you'd let us drink at because I could only hang out at that place if I worked there. If I wanted a drink there, she would send me home. So we're in this neighborhood of Bridgeport. There aren't any bars to go get any good beer. We're like, why don't we just make it a place where we can get some great beer, some great craft beer, make some, you know, let's enter the 21st century and make cocktails, maybe offer a whiskey beyond Jim Beam. So we, she said no. And then at a family meeting, she's like, do you guys really want to do this? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Well, I would love to do it. So in the span of three weeks, we converted the place into a new bar, did a complete uh, rehab and reconstruction of the place, and reopened it and named it after her, Maria. And it was called Maria's Packaged Goods and Community Bar. And it was pretty funny because my mother would always say, no one's going to buy your crap beer. Who likes crap beer? And I'd be like, Mom, people like good beer. You'll see. So we opened up. We just had nine or ten taps. And people started coming in. People from the neighborhood we didn't even know lived there started coming in, thanking us for opening up a craft beer uh, cocktail place on the south side. And, and over time, it just became a pretty popular, pretty famous place uh, for craft beer. And the best thing about it is that when we took over, I was able to order every single skew available in Chicago at the time, in 2010. And we had over 500 different craft beer labels, brands in the bar that we served. And so through that, you were pioneers almost. In a way, yeah, I guess you could say that, at least for the South Side. And then, you know, friends would start hanging out. We were starting the homebrew. People who love beer would start hanging out Maria's to try all the different crazy, cracked out beers. We what were, what were some of the breweries that you were buying back then? You know, it's funny. I, I'll never forget getting stone, uh, <laughs> yeah. arrogant bastard, and going, this is insane. And then, of course, Half Acre started, was making beer at the time. Uh, Goose Island was making beer. I'm not sure if they were purchased by the uh, AB InBev Beer Borg at the time. I was so, 2011, I 2011, yeah. yeah. So 2010, we got some craft uh, brewed Bourbon <laughs> County stout. And then the next year, I think nobody got it except for Walgreens, which is a, a pharmacy chain. And then um, they have, course, they have crap beer there. Yeah, yeah, they have yeah. crap beer. I like, now. I like your I like your mention of crap. Let's go to Pete. Someone just poured a beer for me. That's perfect for this. Is about one thirty on a, a Thursday afternoon. We're recording. What is this beer? It's so good. This is a, a crap beer version of a macro, actually. <laughs> <laughs> this is a a familiar beer of ours, a strap hanger. But one of our brewers had the idea to amylase it. If you've heard of the brute IPA phase. 
That's a, that's an IPA that's been fermented to zero uh, through the addition of an, an enzyme called amylase. So it takes all the sugars that aren't normally fermentable, chops them up and makes them fermentable, and you can ferment bone-dry beer. So he's like, we should do an amylase lager yeah. and make a light lager. So this is strap light. Um, 4% ABV. May I have a little dry. more of this crap strap light? Yeah. <laughs> so refreshing. You got a, this is a new term, Ben. Have you, have you heard the, someone mispronounce craft as crap? I this have is not, but I like, I feel like Mars should, should have a crap beer in your, in your lineup. Oh, we have only crap beer in our lineup. Yeah. <laughs> and then Tim, so you're the brewer. How did you get involved? Yeah, I met everybody um, at Maria's. There was a lot of us uh, kind of hanging around, a lot of home brewing going on in Chicago. Uh, there's a huge brew club there, uh, Chaos, and there was also Square Kegs. I was involved in that uh, before Chaos. So just a lot of really passionate uh, home brewers at the time. We were all hanging out there, and I kind of got wind that Ed was thinking about starting this thing and uh, just kept showing up there just randomly. I didn't know you know, who was what and how, how things were going to play out and just kept bringing my bottles there, trying to share my beer with these guys and get involved in the project. Yeah. And Ben, have you spent some time in Chicago? Do you know the beer scene there? Uh, I know the beer scene a little bit. I haven't spent enough time because, uh, as you were saying earlier, in 2010, it was possible to buy all of the crap or craft beer available in town. And now I think Chicago has more breweries than any other, maybe San Diego, but basically more than any other metro area in the U.S. It's mind-boggling yeah, how it's many have opened in 170 years. exist right now. There's going to be 200 by the end of next year. Yeah, that's it's insane. It's totally nuts. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. Wow. Do you want to name a couple? I mean, Pipeworks, right? Yeah, they were a real inspiration for us. Um, they they started brewing the same way we did. Uh, we use their same system, the Psycho Brew. Um, it's made in Michigan. It's a kind of a giant homebrew system. Um, I was brewing 20 gallons at the time, so it really made a lot of sense to just help us scale and kind of get adjusted to bigger recipes and you know the whole process. So Psycho Brew, how, how big is that system? It basically produces four barrels the, with the kettles that we had. So it was two mash tons and then two boil kettles. So we would just have both of them going in tandem and just crank up wok burners underneath them and just kind of make giant homebrew batches. Uh, it got extremely hot in there in the summer. And, like uh, a wok a wok burner, like yeah, a yeah, gas burner, just a huge or a propane gas burner. burner. Yep, just gas. cranking. Pete, heat. You like the you like that size size brew system? Sounds like a lot of work. But yeah, it's a, it's a start. <laughs> we uh, we killed ourselves. It was a lot of work, especially like I said in the summer. It was just an inferno up there. You got those burners going, and we're graining out, you know, by hand, just scooping that grain out and put a walk on, make lunch. Yeah, horrible <laughs> drainage on the floors, just squeegeeing everything all over the place. And it's rolling into the walk in every day. It's got to clean out the walk in every day. It was just a lot of work, but it all it all paid off. We were doing pint bottles at the time. Um, so that kind of limited our styles a little bit. You know, we were trying to do things that we thought could sell in the market at the time and, you know, be on shelves and, and be relevant. And we did a lot of cool things like Jungle Boogie. Uh, that's our main uh, tea wheat ale. It's just kind of a little different than most. It's got mosaic, which people love. Uh, so that kind of helped get us into the market, I think, and on top of our sours and different things that we kind of yeah, worked so, on. So, some guys I know mentioned the other day, I was, I was with the guys from Beer Table, which is a great retail shop in, in Manhattan. And I said, you, you guys are coming on Mars Community Brewing. And they said, oh, yeah, Jungle Boogie. <laughs> so how, how did you come up with that and as a wheat, wheat beer, as a first beer? Yeah, we, one of our uh, guys at the time, we started with uh, several home brewers, you know, and it was just kind of a, a shared thing. Uh, I had a day job, but we all did. Um, so I would brew on the weekend. Another guy would brew uh, on Sunday. And then another guy would brew during the week. So we kind of kept the production moving and kept the tanks full that way. Uh, but one of the guys is really into tea. 
So he would uh, get these crazy, super expensive teas from these different stores, you know, in downtown Chicago and whatever. So we tried to scale some of that up and it was just so expensive, you know, it worked great in a five gallon batch, but even going just to the 150 or 180 gallons that we were doing, it was just ridiculously expensive for some of those teas. So we kind of readjusted and talked about the recipes and worked on that and ended up landing on the rooibos tea, which is a really nice, uh, it's very temperature tolerant and you can just kind of throw it into a boiling liquid and not worry about oversteeping it and getting tannins and kind of having some other issues with a lot of other teas. Eli, Eli Espinosa was really in love with this beer. It was like his, uh. We would have these like barbecues or like events where we'd all hang out and everyone would bring a beer and to see what we want to brew next. And that was definitely his child. Yeah. And, and, and Tim helped and we nurture. We all loved it. Yeah. We've all nurtured this, this baby to become a really great beer that it is today. Yeah. yeah. So, what, Ed, you're kind of like the, how would you describe yourself? I said in Trompenor, you didn't <laughs> uh, really like that term. I, I call myself the weakest link. <laughs> That's not true. Okay. Uh, on successful failure. So you're like a Google, a Google founder type dude. Ah, endless ambition. You know, I just really love. Um, uh, the, I love it when people just do what they're passionate about. You no, know, and it doesn't matter what field it is. Really, it could be in journalism. It could be the arts, the art of brewing, cooking. Um, really, just I'm just really excited about when I when we fell in love with craft beer when we started that bar. We realized how breweries actually brought small manufacturing jobs. It was a way to confront monopoly culture, monopoly business. Um, it was a way for independent businesses, you know, with that you know DIY or do it together punk spirit. It was a great field and kind of like a segment to get into because it was a way for people to support independent businesses, independent projects, which is what I've been doing most of my life. Yeah, I checked out your website. So it's Mar- Mars Community Brewing. So MarsBrewing.com is the website, but the name of the company is Mars Community Brewing. Uh, we use the community thing because, you know, when we were making jokes about Bridgeport, we used to say Bridgeport was the community of the future if the future is the apocalypse. <laughs> and then over time, it became less of a shooting gallery, less dangerous. Uh, and it be- we just dropped the apocalypse part and we call the South Side the community of the future because it's affordable. You could do any type of project you want there. You could find a space to, for a gallery or a space to open up a retail business or a restaurant. And that's what I love about Chicago and I love about our, our neighborhood in particular is that you you were afforded you know, the time and affordability to create a project like a brewery, right? And, and or, don't you guys, I mean, Mars is, I guess, maybe best known for your brewery and your beers, but you have a radio show you are a publisher you, i think you guys make kombucha yeah we like, actually do, you do so a lot we more do than a lot just beer yeah yeah i mean prior to launching this brewery of course we had that we started the mashton journal i've been working on the lumpen magazine for over 20 some odd years we had an art magazine called proximity for some reason we were we applied for a low power fm radio station and then we got it <laughs> and we're like oh no now what do we do so we had to build a radio station and in fact, the Mars Brewery helped build that radio station. We created a beer called Lumpen Boogie, and it was a it was a twelve pack in the shape and the and the box was the shape of like a of a boombox radio. And we sold those twelve packs with a poster and a print and a T shirt for like ninety nine dollars, and people bought them and raised over Holy twenty <laughs> raised over twenty thousand dollars to build the station which cost about a hundred K or so. Install the antenna. You know what wow, I mean? That's the a great antenna. idea. <laughs> yeah. Hey go to com because dot org become a member guys. That's right. Maybe we I should mean, do a special beer package. It's very important to support 
uh, these kind of media endeavors. And, you know, I mean, the reality is when we were, you know, 20 years ago, we served beer and sold beer to pay for all of our production. Every single publication was launched at a party where we, you had an entry fee and you got some free beer. We sold beer. We always sold beer to fund everything we've done. And to this day, Mars Community Brew supports not only the radio station, our publications, but over 100 nonprofits and artist organizations in Chicago through the awesome. donations. Like, for the example, for the for Gay Pride uh, Month, we are co-hosting a, a pride party, and 25% of all the profits go towards three organizations in the South Side um, who are, you know usually don't get overlooked and don't get much funding. So. It's really important for our mission as and a And you have store. a beer out for, for Pride Month, don't you? Yeah, it's called the Gay IPA. It's uh, actually uh, an IPA with lactose, and it's, a, it's delicious. And we have invited you know, five different queer artists or four different queer artists to create the artwork on the label. We release it. Um, it's, it's some really fun stuff. And that's the other thing, too. Since we've been in the arts forever, all of our friends are amazing. Not all of them, but most of our friends are amazing artists, amazing creative people. And they collaborate with us on the beer labels, on concepts, on events, on on so many different things. It's all these things are in, to me almost the same stuff. It's distributing and communicating pretty interesting ideas that you may or may not have heard of. So you call those people creative heroes, right? Yeah, I mean, on the website, sure. I read, I read your website, <laughs> they, guys. <laughs> hey, you did some research. I don't care what they say about you. You're you're they genius. Say some things, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, quick, um, Tim, you just poured a beer for us. What is it? Yeah, this is our Sour Bridge Porter. Um, so we worked on a local um, little isolation project with Omega Yeast Labs in Chicago. Uh, so we were playing around with isolating different bacteria from some grains for a while. And uh, this is the result of that. And it's available from them um, in the market. But uh, it's, it's just a darker, you know, it's a porter with that sour uh, fermentation, mixed culture fermentation. We do it in steel. And uh, it's got some blackberries and some elderberries. But that, uh, that sour, our, our culture really mixes well with these roasty grains and almost gives kind of an extra cherry flavor to it as well. That's great. So let's talk about what you're doing in New York. You're here to do something with KCBC. Pete, let, tell us about what's happening. It's today. When you hear the show, it will have already happened. So. Yeah, we're brewing by we. I mean, our brewers are We're here drinking <laughs> beer. But um, Bobby and Trevor are making a pale ale that we collaborated on. It's uh, That's, Isn't how you brew. You just press a button and yeah. Yeah, you walk away. Walk away. Write a schedule and it happens. <laughs> Now, there's some guys doing a lot of really hard work, but, and they're killing it for us. But um, it's, uh, yeah, we, we wanted to go, like, retro on this and do a, a pale ale, but we're hopping the shit out of it. It's probably, it's uh, over four pounds per barrel dry hop, all dry hop again. Um, I brought, I I brought an example of uh, one of our dry hop-only beers here. Um, we can pour that maybe next, but. It's delicious. Um, so we, what are we doing? We're doing Mosaic, Citra. Saphir. Saphir, yeah. he threw a little curveball there. Yeah. Um, Get the Germans involved. Yeah, and uh, two other hops, Amarillo. And uh, a little mosaic, did you say and, mosaic? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mosaic. Oh, I forget, it's yeah. on the list. Yeah. <laughs> no, Ben, I want to ask you, when, you, when you've interviewed guys over the years, do you have any specific questions you ask about their collaborations? Because I'm always curious about well, I like I just like to work. know why people decide to do collaborations, because I think it's something that's only become more popular over time you know it used to be uh every once in a while you'd hear about it um and now i feel like it's almost uh flipped where it would be weird if you're not collaborating with people mm -hmm. absolutely for me it's mostly um it's meeting new people <clears throat> sharing information um 
every time I go and do a collaboration with someone, I learn something, and hopefully share something that we've learned. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's. Uh, what did you learn today? Well, <laughs> we tried a new malt. That's right. Yeah. 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 Nice. But yeah, I take the same approach. I always want to. It's you know generally with people we meet and want to hang out with, of course. But then it's also you know mutual respect for the beers. Um, in this case, you know Miguel hooked us up, and we hadn't met yet, and I knew his beers were great, and you know we had the same kind of approach to brewing, so it was already you know off to a good start. And then uh, we just I, I like to try to do something that's new for both of us, but also feels familiar to our fans. So yeah, you know yeah. it's. It's not totally out of left field, but it's, you know, something new. And we, we tried to malt it. Uh, he hadn't tried. And then we're doing all dry hop, which I've never done. Um, so, you know, I always like to, I kind of approach brewing like cooking. And, you know, there's different, you, you throw garlic in something, let's say. You put it in at different times. You cook it for different durations or different ways. You get different flavors, different bitterness, whatever. I kind of approach hopping that way. Yeah. Um, so I always like to put at least a little something on the hot side somewhere, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Even if it's last minute in the whirlpool. But, uh I had the beer today, and he convinced me it's not necessary. <laughs> and Pete has a crazy lab experience. Um, I also came from just talking to certain people, um, hop growers and scientists, about how alpha acids isomerize on the hot side, and I just didn't think you could get that much bitterness only dry hopping. But Pete proved me wrong. Yeah, you can't. Well, we've tested one of these beers on, on our spec, and we got 57 IBUs on a dry hop only beer. I don't know that this is actually testing iso alpha sure um maybe it's just alpha acids that are somehow floating around yeah but there are a lot of other bittering compounds that, that we've discovered that come out in dry hopping as well so the beer is balanced yeah. it's like not lacking for any uh bitterness to balance any residual sweetness yeah we also do bone dry beers not bone well the amylase beers are bone dry but we do really <laughs> dry beers sure. um, and our water chemistry tends to lean towards uh sulfate so it just works with uh, with the water and uh, with the with the heavy dry hopping rates and and uh, the fermentation. We're using Kvike yeast again, so it's they're they're still balanced. They're very drinkable. We've got one here if you want to try it later. Very fruity, yeah. Um, yeah, let's pop that. And we're gonna take a short break. Uh, we'll play a message. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. This episode is brought to you by Visit Ithaca. Located in New York's Finger Lakes region, Ithaca boasts an authentic craft beverage experience, tasty farm-to-table culinary adventures, and scenic outdoor recreation. As the saying goes, Ithaca is gorgeous. The city is home to 150 waterfalls and gorges sprinkled through its downtown and sloping hillsides. State parks and acres of natural lands offer outdoor recreation for every level of enthusiast. Come stroll among the cool ravines, scenic hiking trails, and natural vistas. Ithaca is home to Ivy League Cornell University and Ithaca College, resulting in an influx of new cultures, new tastes, and new energy every year. There's so much to explore, from art galleries and museums to unique attractions like the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. Ithaca sits at the heart of a blossoming heritage and craft cider industry. Some of these delicious ciders can be bought in market, but many of the most unique varieties can only be experienced with a visit to Ithaca and this great cider region. Go to visitithaca.com to get inspired and plan your trip today. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey guys, we're here. Um, we've got a special show. The guys from Mars Community Brewing in Chicago and Mashton Journal are here uh, with KCBC, and they're making a special uh, 
parties and collaborations out out in Jefferson Stop and Bushwick. And uh, when you're listening to this, it's going to be July uh, 2019. So, um, Tim and Pete, you guys are just talking a little more about some of the science behind uh, dry hopping and what you're doing. And I wanted to ask Ed because Ed said he's Ed's like the weakest link in your in your operation. Ed, do you understand the science when they talk <laughs> about a little bit. alpha acids? I think I have a, a, a comprehension of a fifth grader learning calculus when it comes to the science of brewing, but I do understand some of the words. Well, at least you have Let's a fifth grade understanding of calculus. Yeah. I mean, come on, yeah. <laughs> he was it's more than I have. Yeah. But did they answer your question, Ben? I mean, uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I. I like to hear the fact Pete, that, I love you know, to try that part of it's the camaraderie and uh, of collaboration but part of it is like pushing yourselves a little bit to learn something or try something mm-hmm. new like then that makes sense like that would be a good reason to do something one of the cool things we do too is well we work with non-brewers to make beers mm-hmm. we work with chefs primarily yep or sometimes uh different artists or just weirdos who want to create some sort of strange concoction um and you know we and we mentioned earlier how we're doing these different non-alcoholic beverages at the brewery. So we have this gear that we got, the Psycho Brew system and our new system. And we have a canning machine. So, you know, what's really important, for, for at least for me and for, for some of us at the brewery, is that we provided some non-alcoholic options at the brewery. So we started making our own shrub sodas. We started messing with kombucha. We started making uh, tea beverages. We have a mate beverage that we can we started making these uh, different elixirs with which we added CBDs. We also started making coffee beverages because we use coffee in our beer. We have collaborators in different fields like uh, the coffee roast. Can some uh, coffee with dark yeah. matter. Yeah. So, for example, this weekend they're going down to work with uh, Sump Coffee in St. Louis, and they're going to be cupping some coffees that we brought from a fr- fellow roaster uh, called Four Letter Word here, based in Chicago, who also they also brew beer at their brewery called Weiner. And this kind of like weirdo collaboration between these different uh, fields of like fermentation or brewing is fun as well. And then like, for example, this fat rice beer. We work with a, a James Beard nominated chef, you know, Abe Conlon from Fat Rice, in which they make a lot of crazy Portuguese Macau style, style food. And he's a weirdo and the whole team is full of weirdos. And they have <laughs> these flavor profiles that they want to develop that pair with their spicy food or their weird ass food. And it's. Tim loves this shit. Love it. And they just freak out and adding weird <laughs> ingredients that are normally not used in beer. So what, this, what, what is, what's a flavor or two or an ingredient that is weirdo from these guys? Well, so um, Abe uses, uh, there's red koji rice, which is, it's like crimson and it's totally coated in a really beautiful red color from a fermentation on the rice. And so that color, we try to translate that a little bit into the beer and it also matched with the uh, hawthorn fruit, um, which is something that uh, Adrian, his partner, uh, grew up eating. Uh, so it's it's a it's a fruit that grows around the world, but this is from China. Uh, kind of looks like a strawberry. It's a we get it sliced and dried, um, but yeah, it kind of has a light berry flavor to it. So it's uh, just that rice and those berries and the the fun. We've done a few beers with them, and it's I always try to take a back seat to their food because it's just so flavorful and, yeah. and awesome. And it's just I'm not, we're trying to do something that's unique but also refreshing. Um, so that's kind of how I how I work with them on that project. Great. And Pete, um, so you, you've made a, this is a preview of what you might be making today. So it's a, your dry hop pale ale. Tell yeah. us about the beer we're drinking now. This, this is a great a, one. This one's an IPA. This is, sorry, this is a collaboration with Tripping Animals out of Miami, Florida. Uh, great guys, beautiful brewery. If you're ever down there, friends of Miguel. Uh, we, we got, maybe Miguel will tell this story. We got way late on a trip down to, to Central America and they, they came and met us at the airport. Oh. 
yeah, this past January, we are on our way to the Pura Vida Indy Cup in Costa Rica, and the, tra the, the train, the plane got delayed. So we, we're going to spend, instead of one hour, uh, transit time is going to be like three. And instead of staying at the airport, I called my friends for tripping animals. And I said, hey, we're going to be at the airport for three hours. And I said, say no more. We'll have somebody waiting for you. So they sent the brewer, uh, picked us up. As we landed. The guy was there, picked us up, took us straight to the brewery. And they had already like a barbecue waiting for us. So they cooked some Venezuelan food, showed us the brewery, uh, gave us some beer. We, I got to see the, the brewery because they just opened. And we spent like an hour, two hours there with them, tasting, you know, the beers and chatting. And then they took us back to the airport and we were on our way to Costa Rica. So it was Never. like a nice little stop. You know, uh, and this is, uh, this is exactly Miguel, right? Miguel is the, is the ultimate uh, connector and also yeah. collaborator in so many different facets of this beer industry, right? We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Miguel, right? And Miguel's... Uh, ability to kind of communicate with so many different people in the industry and make these connections is what is so fantastic about brewing as well. You can make these connections. You can make these friendships. You, If Miguel says you're cool, you must be cool. I can bake a beer with you. I'm not going to worry about it. You know, it's a really interesting thing about this world we live in. That's I great. never travel anywhere without Miguel because if something goes wrong, he knows someone yeah. who knows someone. Yeah. And you're going to get an amazing barbecue out of it. He's always got his cell phone on him and he'll respond in like 10 seconds. So. Anywhere you go, yeah, Miguel's Thank got you. You're going to make me cry, all of you. Fuck all of you. <laughs> Let's keep going. But so this is like, uh, this, so this beer, is, yeah, this you're is, making um, a beer today. It's almost like this. This is, uh, so one thing that these guys like to do, I don't think I'm giving away any secrets, is they like to put... Um, maltodextrin in their beer for body so that's a little bit of them and we did our dry hop thing which is a little bit of us uh, um, and this is we couldn't really come up with any crazy hops so we just went with the classic we did simcoe mosaic and citra which you can't go wrong don't with. forget saphir yeah no for this is for the roller oh sorry for this yeah, one yeah sorry yeah. sorry 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 <laughs> um so it's it's just a the three big guys. What's a, it's Casey Beasy. What's the name of the beer? Tripping Animals is the collab, and the beer's called Roller Viking Roller Boogie. Viking Roller Boogie. So we have the Viking Dance Series, and those are all dry hop-only beers. And we weren't exactly sure if these guys were comfortable with doing that for our beer, so ours is Kung Fu Karaoke. It, it, <laughs> it, is, it is basically the same thing, but it's a pale ale, and we weren't sure if we were going to do the all dry hop. So Ed's a karaoke superstar. We wanted to yes. make him feel comfortable, too. I was telling Ed, like, when they showed up, I really ex was hoping and expecting that he'd like, kick the door open and come in with his karaoke machine just belting out some Smiths. But <laughs> it didn't happen. Next time. The machine got fried in the, the walk-in cooler last week, and I had to order a new one, and then I didn't charge it, and then... For some reason, I packed my baggage full of magazines instead of the karaoke machine. <laughs> never and again. I'm never going to do that again. So let's talk about the magazine. So you, you started unpacking. You brought a whole bag of magazines for, for Ben and, and myself. I'm sorry. What, what is it? You've got, this is like years of, of printed material. Yeah, I apologize for just dumping all I still, my I like books for my, and magazines. I read things. Well, thank you. Know, yeah. That's refreshing to hear. Well, you know, we love the printed, uh, uh, we like printed projects. I love magazines, love publications. I think it's great to hold something in your hand, feel the paper, view the pictures, and, and lay back and read something that's not on your phone or, or iPad or, or other screen. But yeah, this magazine was started because when we were doing Maria's, we we're doing the craft beer, freaking out, trying to connect with people, learn about the industry. There was, we only had Beer Advocate magazine to read. I wasn't really into the mainstream magazines because they were just kind of like general audience, kind of like boring, kind of top level, 
kind of corporate beer stuff mixed with craft beer things. No offense, I'm not sure if you're writing in that time, Ben. But um, and right. I and I have a history of making publications. I'm like, you know what? There's no good beer magazine. Let's just make a beer magazine. So we started the publication, and and you know I have a, a, a bunch of friends who like writing and like beer, and it was easy for us to write about beer as it was to write about like our hatred for George Bush's you know invasion of Iraq or whatever. So it was easy for us. Twenty first century. Yeah. So. We were basically, we started the publication as a journal, thinking that we want to make a beer mag that reveres the beard and puts it in a kind of precious format that's awesome. And, you know, you hold it like a journal and it's like a long read and a short read and great pictures and it's like fun. And then we, and we started doing this for a while and we started hosting our festivals and doing events and we released the publication at these events. Um, and we started interviewing people in Chicago. And then as we traveled, we started interviewing people. Then as we met people, they started contributing from all over the planet, and we would get reports from different scenes all over the world. But the most important thing that we, I would personally do is I'd ask everyone that was a brewer or a distributor or an owner of a brewery, like, do you have any tips for opening a brewery? And they'd always share their tips. And we'd, always, be, we'd be pouring our home brews at some yeah, of those festivals. And we'd yeah. pour our stuff, and they'd always advise us on what to do or not to do. And it was a really great way for us to kind of like get an education while talking to peers, uh, talking to people who uh, are you know, legends in the business. And also just kind of fun to just do a publication and share this culture and, and share how it intersects with so many different forms of our everyday lives. So the original ones, you, you're... They're like books. You gave it to us, they're like books. So they're yeah. journals, but then it evolved. Why did right. it evolve? Because well, now it's like a nice pictures on the cover, Miguel's yeah. pictures. Yeah, I mean, if you can't... I mean, if you could only see these publications right now, listener, you'd see the beautiful... Knock your socks off. Abstract, this is fascinating radio. Beautiful Hand, hand-sewn yeah. binding. Yeah. So, we went to a kind of free distribution model, because we also do that with other publications, and we just started, instead of asking a brewery to like, hey, take 10 copies and sell them at your brewery, you know, they're, they're never going to do that. Some of them did. We just said, here, just take a few bundles and distribute them. So we would distribute them um, at bars and restaurants and breweries all over the country, mostly in Chicagoland. And over time, we just started, you know, sending them to you know all the breweries that we liked all over the country, all over the world. But we moved to that format because it was easier then to introduce this 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 craft beer to a public who's now more accepting and understanding of what craft beer is. Right? Over time, more breweries, more drinkers, more consumers. So it became something that's a little bit more familiar to people. They could they could read a kind of industry-focused thing and get something out of it. So the magazine is about um, kind of insider news or kind of reflections or opinions on the state of the industry. And also just fun interviews or just kind of tips for who to check out or where to go or how what what kind of... So Ed, what, p- pick a story. What, what's a favorite story that, that you remember from your... Well, I I think my friend Chris Quinn will love the fact that I'm going to mention my interview with Tony (laughs) McGee from Lagunitas Brewing. (laughs) Tony and I had a great interview. Tony explained to me at the time, because we had mentioned that we were going to start a brewery someday, and it was very hard for him to go from 2,000 to 5,000 barrels, much more difficult than to go from 5 to 50,000, he said. And I never understood that. And I'm like, what is he talking about? Two to five? How is that so much harder? And I talked to him about, like, you would never sell out to the beer board, would you? You wouldn't sell to AB InBev or Miller, would you? And he's like, I would never sell to AB InBev or Miller Coors. True to his he word. Lie. And he never <laughs> did lie. And True he didn't. But that interview, you know, was a gushing kind of like, I'm a little fanboy just gushing over uh, the big dog himself, Tony McGee. 
And, uh, and we've had him on here too. Yeah, so we love that. So guy. you know, yeah. Tony's the best. So Chris will always, you know, bust my chops about the fact that I even had an interview with him live on a radio show that we do out of Chicago, where I asked him this, and then two weeks later, Heineken purchases half the company. <laughs> And I'll just never forget this kind of like, this is the god of independent brewing. He is the man who paved the way for all of us to make this beer and make it accessible and drinkable. And, you know, he taught us lessons on how to, you know, how to do our brewery. And for that reason alone, it's one of my favorite stories. Um, and now as we're going from two to 5,000 barrels, I'm like, Tony's right. So I text him once in a while. <laughs> like, dude, what is going on? What are we doing wrong? He's like, just keep going, baby. Just spend more money. (laughs) Just keep going. Yeah, just keep spending more. Get more loans. From his boat. Yeah. 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 He's probably in Nepal right now, um, figuring out a way to stop global warming. Or whatever he's doing, or he could be flying in his blimp over well, let's Scott, make a Switzerland. Toast to Tony McGee. Toast toast to yeah. Tony. Tony, we love you, baby. Thanks right. for your wisdom, Tony. I don't care what they say about you, man. And Tim, what next beer? That was oh, a good story. What are we on here? Um, oh, the, we're doing the fat rice right now. Yeah. So this is, um, we, we try to play around with the acidity from our culture that we, uh, like I said, do in steel. And uh, it's it's a thing that we just kind of keep repitching into every tank. We'll we'll throw it into the tank with the fresh wort and then uh, pump it back into our keg menters and just keep it going kind of endlessly. Um, so depending on how long it's been resting and different variables, we can kind of play with the acidity of that. Um, but this is that red koji and uh, the hawthorn fruit, just a kind of simple sour Go with the food. You know, one thing I like about what you guys are doing, I, I like this model of the community aspect. And um, last year we had a brewer on who had been in to, to Germany, Katarina Martinez with the Pink Boots Society. And she told us about the, the Zogel, the, the, the community brew houses in these towns mm-hmm. in the Palatinate of Germany. And I wondered if you guys ever thought about that, or like this community cooperative. And I'm, I'm thinking about doing a show down the road about cooperative breweries. I think KCBC, at one point, the original idea for KCBC was Kings County Brewers Collective as well. I don't know if you guys want to talk about this. I like I like your larger community vision. Yeah. I feel like that's a role that breweries can play. And, you know, we we only exist because of Maria's support, you know, and, and her just kind of trusting that we could try to do this and, and succeed and, you know, her, her endless support and through the whole thing. And we had a lot of people involved early on, you know, the just getting the brewery started. It was a huge team effort from a lot of people. Um, different people would come in and, you know, take some inventories and, you know, check on some tanks and check on temperatures. And it was just so kind of support a, the arts you're doing. Yep, the magazines. And, then, and then that would all link into these events and, you know, be at the gallery and support the artists and, and serve the beer and do all these things. It, it was really a huge team effort early yeah. on. But as a business model, we certainly thought about it. I mean, I remember one of our first plans was to open up this kind of co-op brewery with different size uh, brew houses and tanks. And we tried to organize these other guys together to join us in this endeavor. Uh, they were uh, breweries and plantings, but it's very difficult to get people who are entering this business with it's a massive expense, massive risk to kind of just throw their hands up in the air and just kind of join together collectively in a thing that may or may not work. There are models now where people are doing, you know, they're, they're brewing together all prop. It's uh, There are many ways breweries start today by just contract brewing with a different brewery that has capacity. And there are examples of this style of kind of cooperative brewing, mm-hmm. kind of collective brewing thing facilities. Uh, we have a model as well where in the future, if we open up another system, another brewery, it is specifically about incubating and helping other brewers grow. And in fact, right now, uh, one of the brewers and one of the original OG guys from Pipeworks um, uh, actually left Pipeworks and is now starting his brewery out of Mars Community Brewing. And he's using some of the equipment 
the Psycho Brew system that he started on as a way to launch his own brewery, which he's making primarily kick-ass saisons. So it is very important to help other people out, to help other people realize their liquid dreams. Um, but it's really tough. It just costs so much to buy all this gear and do all the build-out. But I think it's something that you know we're looking at. I just don't know if it'll happen, if we'll be able to pull the trigger, if I have the financing for But, I mean, just throw it out there. I mean, our idea is to come up with a brewing facility that is brewing, distilling, roasting, um, allows you to make non-alcoholic beverages, kombucha beverages, and it, it probably won't happen, but also have a, a, a cultivating marijuana and having a distillery and having all this production. Just a couple things. Just a dream Maybe an incubator. <laughs> this entire production facility. And your space used to be a marijuana growing factory. The third it? floor was an illegal manufacturing facility for weed. Uh, and that's why the building has such amazing power. When we saw the building, it was kind of It's dumpy, a good place to grow. But it had right? a lot of power, and you could grow into it. Yeah, our third floor, they had poured cement, six inches, eight inches of cement, onto the wood floors to, and put drains in so they could just spray you know, the plants, let the water drain out over the cement floor. Um, but yeah. That's bonkers. <laughs> it's really important, I think. Um, and it, I think it's also possible, like Chicago, for example, it is possible to do these things. But in general, all brewers have already acted collectively. If it wasn't for you know the people we spoke to in the magazine, or or folks like the, you know at, at at Pipeworks or 18th Street or Off Color, we would brew at these places. They would tell us how things work. The entire industry itself was like a school, was like a peer a peer to peer type of activity where everyone was sharing information, like we continue to do today. It's a lot harder now because back in the day, there weren't that many people brewing beer. There was four or five breweries in Chicago when we started our thing, and yeah. there was like 12 or 15. And now, as you mentioned, it is the brewing capital of the U.S. There's like 170. It'll soon be 200. And we don't even know who the heck these guys are anymore. Because <laughs> back in the day, you'd hang out over at Pipeworks or you'd go to Rev and you're hanging out and you're, you, you know everybody. Now... You don't know the majority of people involved in the Damn, now industry. it's the 21st century. But Pete, just do, do you mind if I ask him that the original KCBC was Kings County Brewers Collective? Yeah. We were actually considering doing like an incubator project as well. And when we named it Kings County Brewers Collective, there were five of us, so it made more sense back then. But um, we were all independently trying to open breweries. We said, all right, let's join forces, do this thing. We'll, we'll, we'll make this incubator space. We can launch five different brands out of the space and then go off and build a brewery and then we kind of realized like this is a hell of a lot of fucking work like, <laughs> so that was good that, that's probably the most i'll ever get into talking about brewery cooperative at least for the next year but what about I'm, I'm curious about the idea of community and uh your plans to open something on the north side next year right absolutely oh so how does hey that, how does that how do you know in? about a lot that? of research around wow. here huh guys <laughs> Well, you know, we are based in the South Side. Ben's it's, a top it, beer journalist. Yeah, I do, wow. the, I do the homework part of nice. this, this <laughs> team <laughs> here. Yeah. Well, Bridgeport, as you know, is in the South Side of Chicago. We are actually located in, a, in, a, in a, uh, the, one of the first uh, manufacturing districts in Chicago. And there is absolutely no foot traffic in the entire complex of, of like multiple square miles of manufacturing. Nobody's walking. Um, but of course, we do have a lot of people who do come down to our brewery, and everything's awesome. But we always hear from our North Side friends <laughs> and people who live up just past Roosevelt Road. <laughs> like, oh man, I really wish you get down there, but it's so far away. So you know, I actually was 
when I moved back to Chicago from college, I lived in the north side. I lived in Wicker Park in Bucktown. And uh, to make a long story short, this person, um, I wanted to do a, I wanted to start a different brewery. I wanted to open it up next to his place. And he's like, you know what? Um, and I looked at it. It was too small. And he's like, why don't you call my landlord? And it happened to be the guy who was trying to ask me to open up a brewery in his spaces three or four years ago. And it happened to be next to this place called Margie's Candies. And I'm like, it's next to Margie's Candies? I'm going to do it. Margie's Candy is a legendary ice cream candy place in the middle of um, a Milwaukee, Armitage, and Western in the Bucktown, Logan Square neighborhood. I lived a mile, a block away from it when I first moved to Chicago. We started Lumpin' Times Magazine. I got burritos every, at least three or four times a week across the street from Margie's. And I lived as a pauper uh, <laughs> left-wing left journalist for five years eating Margie's Candy's ice cream and these burritos. So it was nice to... I think to go ice cream and burritos would be a good yeah. beer name. Yeah. yeah, well, I'm sure it's been done. Steak and ice cream is probably being made down the block at other half, right? But um, so the thing is about this this place is, is you know it's dear to my heart. But we also are allowed to have three different tap rooms in Illinois if, if you're if you're a brewery, and we wanted to bring our 24 different draft lines to the public because if you're a small brewer in Chicago, 170 breweries, you may get your beer on a draft line once a month. And people are not really getting the full uh, spectrum of all the awesomeness that we're making. So we think if you're into Mars, you're too lazy to come down to Bridgeport or McKinley Park, the community of the future, we'll be right off the blue line. Here's our stuff. Come by. There'll be a Lumpen radio station node there. We'll have all of our awesome stuff there. And we'll probably be a pretty interesting facet of the neighborhood in terms of offering uh, the things that we do. Pete? We're going to have to wrap it up in a minute. I just want to tell you, we brewed a beer yesterday called Burrito Nato. <laughs> <laughs> What's that, man? It's a, it's, it's a, a, IPA, a fruited IPA collab with Verdon out of Cornwall in the UK. The last thing I just want to ask about Chicago. So the, the craft beer guy I've known for years in Chicago is Michael at Hopleaf. Yeah. Uh, Michael Roper is, a, is the patron saint of craft beer in the city of Chicago. He really started that on the north side. You know, that was he, he got uh, bells early on and, and some other things. And people were very excited if they, you know, came from Michigan or different places. It was a, a big deal at the time. In fact, when Michael uh, first asked us to have our beer on draft there, we felt validated as a brewery. Yeah, I went there and uh, did a tasting. It was a, a very nerve wracking and exciting experience. And it was uh, a great validation. Really well, felt just, like we let's succeeded. Give a cheers to uh, Hopleaf in yeah. Chicago. Thank and, you, Michael. Uh, Leaf. Thank and you. we're gonna have to wrap Cheers, it up, guys. but Ben, you want any last question or oh, final question? That's so much pressure, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> final statement. I don't know. Uh, yeah. What What was your? Because uh, you guys were just here briefly, or you are going to be in Brooklyn briefly. Like, kind of a takeaway moment or memory from this uh, whirlwind trip that you guys had. We had an incredible meal last night. Thank you, Miguel. Thank you, thank you. Uh, we went to Ivan last night, and I had no idea that it was also a really Ivan great... Ivan yeah. yeah, Ivan Raman, sorry. Really great beer bar as well. Um, but I followed him and kind of knew of the whole thing, and it was a really, really awesome meal. I'm, a, I'm definitely a foodie and, and, and all that, and it blew my mind. It was yeah. beyond my expectations. Yeah. Being here in Bushwick also blows my mind, and also KCBC being here. I can understand why you'd want to be located in a kind of robust, awesome neighborhood where you have crazy art just surrounding you. And you have a bunch of weirdos running around bringing, you know, pizzas and also uh, good-looking shoes. 
You know? <laughs> a lot of beautiful yeah. shoes. But Pizzas I, I, and shoes—that's Bushwick. Yeah, but but New York, you know, obviously is the pulse of like uh, humanity. It's just nice feeling. It's a beautiful city. Love the city. Pete, you know, you're at the Jefferson Stop in Bushwick, KCBC. Where do you get lunch? All over the place, but today we're getting in from Los Hermanos. Oh, by the way, guys, tacos. Yes. Okay. All right, and then you guys have you have to go back and and work. At KCBC, yeah, we're gonna work. Yeah, and, and what's yeah. what's the event tonight? So <laughs> yeah. it, it, again, looking back, we won't. It, it's happened before this airs, but what's the event tonight? A Mastun Journal party, Miguel. So for tonight, we are doing the release of the um, issue number thirteen, the one that I was co-editor. Uh, so we're gonna do. Um, I wanted to bring everything. Full circle and do the since you're doing the collaboration, then do the the launch of this issue there, and you know I'm gonna be showing some of my work. Some of my pictures are gonna be hanging at the, at the KCBC tasting room, so it's just kind of like working with friends. That's pretty much what I'm doing. It's just like doing an event uh, with dear friends that I have met through my my years of doing my project. Great. Guys, we're going to have to wrap it up. Just everyone go around one more time to say their full name and, uh, you know, something about them, and we're going to wrap it up. Go, Miguel. Uh, Miguel Rivas, the beer trekker, photographer, storyteller, and connector. And hopefully uh, at, at the beer trekker, you'll see some photos from today's show, too. Uh, my name is Tim, and uh, thank you for having us, guys. Tim Lang at Mars Brewing. Ed Marzuski, weakest link at Mars Brewing. <laughs> Catch me in the karaoke feed. Pete I like Langell, uh, KCBC Brew Commander. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Pete. Ben Keen, former uh, guest host here, writer, editor, beer lover. Uh, contact me if you need help with uh, beer names. And Instagram got a lot at, of ideas. at where, <laughs> where <laughs> underscore and underscore back. Where and right? back. Yeah, where you can back. find me on the wide world's web. Well, guys, thanks for tuning in. <laughs> You'll be listening. This is Thank probably you, July 2019 when, when this show airs. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host. Thanks for joining us here. Uh, Justin Kennedy, producer. Uh, Jeet and Matt Patterson are the engineers. Aaliyah Papes is the assistant producer. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Heritage Radio Network. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo! All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.